as we come to Joshua, it's just chronologically, sequentially in the Bible and chronologically the next thing that comes up. So as the Jews, the nation, came out of Egypt under the direction and leading of Moses, came to Mount Sinai, made the covenant, the Mosaic covenant with God, received the law of God, and then failed to go into the promised land with the failures of the spies and their report, the ten spies at Kadesh Barina. Of course, Joshua and Caleb were the good spies with a good report. They then went on the march in the desert for the next 38 years. Only Joshua and Caleb, being over 20, would go into the promised land. Joshua was introduced to us when the Amalekites were attacking the stragglers at the back of the pack when they came out of Egypt, as they came into the Sinai Peninsula. So Joshua saw early combat and leadership there. That's the story where Aaron and Hur kept up Moses' rod and Joshua fought the battle. Well, then later on with the battles of Sihon and Og, the kings on the east side of the Jordan, Joshua was very much involved in those battles as well. He was the leader. And then in the latter part of Deuteronomy, God was clearly preparing the way for Joshua to be the new leader. In fact, we left off in Deuteronomy where God told Moses, hey, you're going to pass. Joshua is your successor. Ordain him, recognize him in front of the people. And then you're going to go see the promised land on Mount Nebo. But then you're going to step into eternity. Joshua is the new leader. So that's our background to Joshua. So now this whole generation, we saw them. They were under 20 when they came out of the promised land. And they grew up in the wilderness or were born in the wilderness. And now the census when they came out of the promised land was about 600,000 men over the age of 20 for combat ready service conscription. And when the second census happened at the end of that journey, and there's a new generation, just about 600,000 men again. So it was like a total turnover. And the census has a whole new group of men for conscription, for military service, but that would be reflective of the women and the families and whatnot. And they all watched everyone over 20 pass away in the wilderness during those 38 years of wandering in the wilderness. So now it's their opportunity. That next generation has come to a head. You know, the funny thing about generations in motion is one just doesn't drop right off a cliff at one time, but they gradually fade away. They just gradually fade away. And as they occupy a timeline and they step into eternity, they just, eventually they're all gone. That's just how it works. And then that next generation just kind of flows in. So the, the back end of the baby, the front end of the baby boomers are, are older now in their 80s. And the back end of baby boomers, considered 1946 and beyond born, myself kind of being the caboose of baby boomers, we're in our 60s now. And we're, we're kind of there. And then the Gen Xers, they're coming behind us. They're a shorter window. The millennials are behind them, and now this, this Z generation is coming up, and they're a certain way that's different than millennials. And I know this from speaking with Nate, my son-in-law, and my daughter Hannah, who minister to the younger generation. They're completely different than millennials, and Hannah gave me like a list of 20 things that is the difference between millennials and the Z generation, and how they act, and how they perceive themselves, who they look up to, who they don't look up to, all these sorts of things. And... So I find that interesting. And so here we have a generational swing happening, and it's a dramatic swing. And when we get to going in through the Jordan River next week, we'll really talk about how some people came through the Red Sea and some people came through the Jordan River, which is very unique, a few people. So tonight, this new generation that just had the whole book of Deuteronomy for them, the law reiterated by Moses himself, now it's their time. And we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, 
Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan River, and you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night. You shall observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you to be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's so much good stuff in Joshua. And right off the bat, this is like, wow. I mean, this is... Of all the openings of Old Testament books, it's hard to match this one. There is so much good stuff here. One thing in a broad scope that I tell you is how many times Moses is referenced here. The legacy of Moses. It's, it's all over this. Like Moses, my, God, It says, after the death of Moses is the opening phrase. And then God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And the law you got from Moses, and Moses this, Moses that. When we go forward in this chapter with the half-tribe of Manasseh and the Reubenites, they're like, hey, as Moses was with you, so we're with you. As God was with Moses, he's with you. And so the legacy of Moses is still there. Even as we'd say in the Calvary Chapel movement, the legacy of Pastor Chuck, of course, is still very much here and with us. The legacy of great people does extend beyond their moving on to eternity. So we might say they cast a big shadow. And we even talked about this early on in Deuteronomy. Some people, it's hard to replace them. You know, it's hard to come, come in after them. And, and sometimes when we come to a leadership role, the person we're replacing, they, they kind of, the room kind of empties when they leave. It's like when a hurricane goes by and the air is dead when it's gone. If you've ever been somewhere after a hurricane, it's just like dead air. Like there's all this destruction. And there's like the atmosphere has been drained, like all the atmospheres has been drained out of the place and I've been through a couple of typhoons and hurricanes which are one and the same and I've seen it and it's like that so when we come to Joshua in this book we realize here's this incredible responsibility that Joshua has not the same as Moses's at all common in that they're both leaders but Moses led them out of bondage Joshua is leading them into the promises of occupation and the promises of God So out of bondage was Moses into the promises and the blessings is Joshua. It is a fairly good transition in that it's not an outside free agency coming in, if you will. Joshua was right there by Moses' side. The people knew Joshua. They all respected Joshua. It was a real easy transition in that sense that he's the obvious successor by dinnertime conversation in the tents of the 12 tribes. Plus, God affirmed it anyways. But you can never expect Joshua to be Moses. You could never expect that. When Steve Mays passed away at Calvary Chapel South Bay, you can't expect Jeff Gill to be Steve Mays. That's not how it works. He's Jeff Gill. 
When Pastor Chuck passed away and Brian Broderson became the pastor at Calvary Costa Mesa, you can't expect Brian Broderson to be Pastor Chuck. When Brian Broderson left Calvary Vista in the, the zenith of its heyday in the 90s to go to England and Rob Salvato replaced him, you can't expect Rob Salvato to replace Brian Broderson and all that he did in North Senegal County in the late 80s and 90s. We naturally compare things. We do this in sports. We do this with presidents. We do this all the time with bosses. But we need to understand, as each person is uniquely made, each person is uniquely qualified, particularly with leadership. Though humanity naturally compares leadership, we need to realize and appreciate the distinction and the uniqueness of each God-ordained leader and what God has for them. And with Joshua, think about this. Moses was a prophet, and there never was anyone like Moses again. If Joshua tried to be a prophet, that was not a good fit. Joshua was not called to be a prophet. He really is almost like Eisenhower. He's more like a great general who then becomes like a great president, like Ike did. Through his leadership in war, he naturally became like the unofficial king of Israel, before he steps into eternity in the back of the book, which we'll get to right about the time we move into autumn. This is good for us to think about because things are always in motion. We just pray for the Timmermans leaving for Indiana. We pray for the Lopez's moving to Texas. People are always coming and going. And when you see this very opening statement after the death of Moses, and we think of Joshua, to get to Joshua, we start with, after the death of Moses. So the first key thought in application tonight is life goes on. Doesn't it? When people you love step into eternity, it might seem like, wow, what a dramatic change and how are we going to do this? I buried my mom in Cleveland, graveside with the snow coming down right before COVID. But life goes on. And I'm there in Bureau Beach with my sister a week ago, and the house smells like my mom because all the furniture from my mom's house is there. And it's a, it was a happy feeling. Like, that's mom's dining room table. That's mom's, you know, display case, and that's the mom's chair. And, and there's Romeo, who lived in my mom's house for three years, the boxer. That, you know, it's like, wow. But life goes on. Like, mom's not there to help Barbie. I'm there to help Barbie, and Barbie's doing quite well. I was stunned to come home and hear the passing of my good friend Rick Fignetti, Rock and Fig, who I worked with for years with K-Rock, doing the surf reports and all that 80s stuff when it was the 80s. And we did commentary together. First it was OP Pro, then it was the U.S. Open, it was the Gotcha Pro one year, but we, we did a lot of stuff together. Many of you know Nate Dorman, our good friend from South Carolina who came to this church about seven years ago and went out on the pro tour for a while and did ministry and his dad was a vineyard pastor and eventually Nate moved to California when Sumo, who's also a legendary, passed away from cancer a couple years ago and he was pastoring a church in Huntington Beach. Nate Dorman became the pastor, a co-pastor of that church right there on Main Street and as that happened, Nate began to have a really good ministry with Rick Fugnetti. Now, Rick Fugnetti and Brian Broderson are longtime good friends from going to high school together at Huntington Beach High School in the 70s. 
also with my former boss of USA Surfing, Greg Cruz. Greg Cruz, Rick Fignetti, and Brian Broderson all traveled at the same time Huntington High in the 70s. And it really blessed me the last couple of years, especially during COVID, when I found out from Nate Norman that Rick Fugnetti, when no one was giving places to meet as a church, Rick Fugnetti opened his surf shop there on Main Street and his parking lot for the church to gather. That's a good lasting legacy, by the way, when you step into eternity. Evidently, he had a heart attack at 65 while walking his dog. He didn't feel good. He was walking his dog. Side note, I always walk with my wallet in my right pocket when I walk the dog just for that very reason. You just never know. But he stepped into eternity. I'm doing a memorial for my friend who's 60, passed away at 66, Richard Norman, this coming Saturday in Carlsbad. He stepped into eternity. He had cancer. So he had a little bit of prelude to get ready for it. Rick Fignetti didn't feel good, stepped into eternity. And I was thinking about Rock and Fig Shop there on Main Street. You can go down there today and see it. Aaron Pies, Huntington Surf and Sport, Bud Lamas over there at 17th Street, Rick Fignetti. We're all, we're all friends, man. We're all 70s and 80s guys. Like, we're all friends. And I thought, there's a void. Like, Rick Fugnetti passing away was national news. And there's a, suddenly there's like a void. And as I Googled his name on, because you Google anything, right? And I Google Rick Fugnetti because I wanted to find out as soon as people started telling me Rick Fugnetti passed away. And I found all these other stories about Rick Fugnetti. One thing about Rick Fugnetti, he was always in the Huntington Parade. Every time he come by in the parade, every 4th of July, that's a Rick Fugnetti float. I'm telling you. He's like the mayor of Huntington. He's always on a float with Peter Townend or something. Like, he's got it dialed in. <laughs> you know, there was like, hey, you should get on the float with him some year. I was like, yeah, I don't think so. But, uh. but Rick Fugnetti was as Huntington Beach as Main Street is. But it talked about his daughter in some of these articles. And I thought, wow, like, so what happens now with his surf shop? That surf shop's been there for 30 years. He's not going to be in the lineup on the north side. And who's going to open the surf shop? Because all these smaller shops, you know, you're, it's a... It's a mom and pop. Your mom and your pop. You open, you lock. That's how surf shops work a lot of times. I thought, like, what's going to happen to a surf shop? For the living, life goes on. Maybe his daughter's going to run it. Maybe he has some co-workers that can run it. Maybe let it go and liquidate everything. We've seen this movie, right? But know this, W.G., For the living, life goes on. Moses, my servant, is dead. But you need to arise and you need to lead these people in the next chapter. The human experience is like a relay race. My daughter Leah ran the 4x100 relay. She was the first one out the gate with Calvary High School. Hannah ran distance. She ran the 4x400 relay one time around the lap, one time around the track. You got to get the pass of the baton right, don't you? Right? Like the baton pass is everything. It's critical. You got to get it right. God's always passing the baton. Recently, I talked about how so many great men that I've looked up to are gone from this planet, spiritual leaders. And the Lord just put on my heart like, well, you need to step up and look in the mirror and be the, the best you can be. That's what you need to be. You're not trying to fill the void of other great men. You're trying to be who you're meant to be. When you being you and all of us in this room being who we're meant to be in Christ Jesus is our greatness. The character of Christ in us and flourishing wherever he has us. We don't have, whoever really knows the whole scope of what God wants to do with our life. That's why it's a step of faith and a walk of faith. Hudson Taylor said at the end of his life, the older I've gotten, the more clueless I am. 
but the more sanctified he was and the more he was like Christ. For the living, life goes on. Solomon said that a a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living, life goes on. And that's what this, the very opening statement reminds us of that. So we can't say the good old days or what was like when this and that, even though I do mention Pastor Chuck probably every service. Um, It's more out of respect like they're doing right here in this chapter. It's more like, well, you know what Moses said. It's more like respect that way. So we need to be reminded for the living and even for us who are here in Jerusalem as as people like Alex and, and Lucas have been called to move on. If we're called to be here, we've got the baton and we still have stuff to do. For the living, life goes on. And as long as we're alive, there's things to do and there's things God wants to do with us. So I pull out what it says here, arise. God says to Joshua, arise. So when you see uh, a void, when somebody in front of you or someone there has faded, we need to ask ourselves, and they've stepped into eternity, what's my role now? As people are called to move to different states, what's what's my role now? What can I do? They just lost an iconic family that served in the children's ministry for five years. What's my role now? Do I have a role? I don't know. I'm not saying you do. I'm not saying you don't. But we need to think that way. If nothing else, pray more for the children's ministry. Because not only do we need people to step up again, but children are leaving as well. Children that had good ministry with other children when they visited. But for the living, life goes on. Not that they're dead, but they've moved on. And this is, we're here. For the living, there's always things to go forward with. The baton is in our hands. And we go forward with that baton. Joshua had to go forward. We arise and we get after it. We arise, God says arise and do our part. So we have to ask ourselves, when the death of someone comes and there's a void and God says, so-and-so, my servant is dead, now therefore arise, we need to arise. And we need to take it forward. When someone's gone and there's kids that are still there, what can we do to bless those kids? Right? That's how we need to live as a church and disciples of Jesus Christ. Arise, go over this Jordan, and lead this people. Wherever there's a passing of a loved one, the disciples of Jesus Christ can take the baton, arise, and lead the people that are alive to the next season that God has for them. That's who we want to be. That's who I want to be. That's who we want to be. Then God also said numerous times, starting in verse 6, be strong and of good courage. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. And then again, later on, you see it in that latter verse. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. So we get these exhortations to be strong and courageous. Even the half-tribe and the two full tribes will say the same thing before the chapter is done. So we realize, too, that after the death of Moses, life goes on for the living and there's things to do. Yes, there's a grieving season, but there's things to do. And we need to step up and arise when a void's been left behind. But we also, in Joshua's case, God is saying, because he's going to lead the entire nation, be strong and of good courage. But then he tells them how to be strong. He says, meditate on the word and don't let it depart from you. Don't go to the right or to the left. So when you say, well, what is Joshua's strength? Is it going to the gym? Is it working out? Now, his strength is being in the word of God and meditating upon it day and night. His strength is taking in God's word. And as we take in God's word, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
your, your faith grows. The more that we spend time in the word, the more that we spend time taking in the word from other sources, whether it's podcast or radio or whatever, we, we grow and we gain confidence. The more scripture we take in, the more confidence we have. And I've mentioned this, but on YouTube, there's all kinds of these sleep with the word of God things, you know, like eight hours of healing promises, eight hours of, you know, Bible promises or eight hours of the Psalms or whatever. And, you know, I, sometimes it takes me a while to sleep, but I'll, I'll listen and sometimes it turns off and sometimes it plays and I wake up and like seven hours have gone by and all I've had going in my head for seven hours of sleeping is the word of God. And I wake up on those days like, yeah, <laughs> lead follower, get out the way, right? Like your faith is built up. So we're told to be strong. Joshua is told to be strong, but the source of his strength is the word of God. And the word of God should make us courageous. It should make us confident. It's like sports. The confidence that you have to excel in the sporting realm on the field comes from the practice. It comes from the training. It comes from the sacrifices. And therein is your confidence. The more you feel prepared, John Wooden, the great legendary coach from UCLA, he did all of his preparation in the, tra- in the practices. He did very little coaching in actual competitions. He's my favorite coach. He prepared and then he just let it go because they built confidence from the practice that prepared them for the game and then he just let it go. He let them play. He wasn't really coaching so much during the game. He equipped them to play the game in practice. The practice prepared them. And even so, strength in the Lord comes from being in the word of God. Then you face life and you find confidence in it because the word's in you. And we're meant to be dependent upon the daily bread because even Jesus said, when you have these difficult situations and you're brought before councils, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say. See, that's like you're preparing to play in the NBA Finals and you know how to run an offense, but once the game's going, you're going up and down the court and people are blocking shots, turning the ball over, scrambling for loose balls. Man, you just got to play. That's how pro surfing is. You, some waves come, they don't come. There's a long wall. You got priority. You don't have priority. Man, you just got to make things happen. Like once it's going, it's going. And that's how it is in life. You have to be reactive. You have to trust your instincts. And so too with the Lord, all things that Joshua would face... He's going to be strong because the word's going in, and then he's going to be courageous because he has confidence in the Lord. His confidence is from the Lord and in the Lord. So as long as we're taking in the word, our faith is growing, and whatever we're facing of known or unknown, and usually it's both, we can have confidence. We can have confidence because even as God said here, I'm with you always. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm with you always. And that's a confidence that we have. And it's not a self-confidence. Again, all these Olympians that are about to begin competing in the Olympics, they're going to have some. They're going to have self-confidence from self-preparation. Well, let's take the golfers. Like these guys are going to be prepared. They're going to know the course. They're going to have their caddies. They're going to have little goggles to tell them the yardage. They're going to know which irons they want to use or drivers. Or, and they're going to have confidence based upon all that they've done for that moment. Our confidence comes from being with the Lord. So all we have to do to have confidence, to have courage, to face whatever we're facing and do whatever God's called us to do is to be in the word. That's it. That's our confidence. That is our confidence. We don't have to manufacture anything. We need to take in the word of God and let it transform us, the washing of water by the word, and not go to the left or to the right, all eyes on Jesus, and then we have the confidence in the moment what God's calling us to do. That's how it's meant to be. Be strong and good courage, 
Strength comes from the word and the good courage comes from being confident from what we've read in the word to face whatever it is we have to face and do whatever it is God's calling us to do. Then also, there's a third application in this. There's actually more than that, but these are our three for the night. So here's our third point on this, is that success and prosperity, those are words that the world understands, right? God says that you may prosper whatever you do, verse 7. So if we're taking in the word of God, not going to the right to the left, God promises Joshua that you may prosper whatever you do. And you shall meditate on the word, and you will observe it, so you'll meditate upon it, you'll do it, and uh, then then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. So think of all the books people are going to go buy at the bookstore, if you can even go to them, or get them online at Amazon or whatever. All the books on success. Just Google, go to Amazon and Google books on success. Oh my goodness, there's no shortage of books on success. Remember in the 80s, like looking out for number one, thinking, grow rich. Thinking's always a good start. Doesn't mean you can grow rich, but thinking is a good start, right? Critical thinking, right? But People want to like, hey, I want to be successful. I want to prosper. It's like Psalm 1. Blessed is the man or the woman who delights himself in the law of the Lord. And then they meditate it day and night. They'll be like the fruitful tree by the river. And they bring forth their fruits in season. That's us. Just take it in. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. And you're going to prosper. This is great counsel. This has been how I've lived my life. And all my journeys, the tragedies, the trials and the tribulations, the heartache, the triumphs, the victories, all of it. And as we'll see in Joshua, not later on, not one word has failed, not one promise. So God will prosper our way. We want to be successful, or we might say in the New Testament sense, fruitful. When we're saying fruitful for the Lord, we're saying successful because you're successful in the Lord if you're fruitful for the Lord. Successful and fruitful are synonymous when you're talking about being disciples of Jesus Christ. How are we going to prosper, ladies, gentlemen? We're going to prosper and really live the life and really have the fruit and the deepest human experience intended for us when we meditate on God's word, we obey it, and we don't depart to the right or to the left. That's how we're going to be successful and prosper. Any other ideas and thoughts about being successful and prospering don't matter. They might work for professions in life and time, space, and matter, but we want to be successful and prosperous in time, space, and matter by the Spirit for time, space, and matter and eternity. And that's it. Now we pick it up in verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, Pass through the camp. And command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. And the Reubenites, the Gadites, half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God has given you rest and has given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but you shall pass before your brethren, armed, all your mighty men of valor. And help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they shall also, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. That's, of course, modern Jordan. 
Verse 16. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do. And whatever, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. I like this. He's like the new head coach, right? All right, guys, here we go. This, you know, like you're replacing, you know, like Mike Krzyzewski at Duke or something, right? Like the new head coach, replacing an iconic coach. Like, like, okay, guys, hey, listen, it's really important. You follow through what you said you're going to do and do it, and then you'll be blessed and you'll enjoy everything. Like, hey, we're with you. We're with you. We're so with you. If anyone badmouths you, we're going to crack them. We got your back. They say, we got your back. And what do they say? We got your back. And then they're like, hey, what else do we say? Well, what did God tell him like five times? Hey, only be strong and of good courage, huh? Right? They tell him what the Lord, they, they tell him, as he's exhorting them, they tell him what the Lord had been telling them. Right? Sounds good. Hey, yeah, yeah, we're with you. Only, you know, be strong and of good courage. We're with you. Swords up in the air. Say goodbye to your families on this side of the Jordan River and get ready to march through. It's really cool. They're accepting, listen, for you employees, employers, blended families, things like that. They're accepting the new leadership. They're respecting God-ordained authority. They're respecting position God has for that place. Now, they maybe respected Joshua a lot. They did see the victories of Sihon and Og, and they were a part of it. The land they're in is because they saw Joshua lead the armies in and out of those victories over those kings with the Lord guiding them. But they're respecting the leadership. One of my favorite books I've accumulated in my pastoral journeys is A Tale of Three Kings. It's a classic. And it's, it's about David, Saul, not Hithophel, David's other son. And it's about how David was the king that would not, was the, under the king that respected the king. And of course, Sam, or Sam just taught this about when he was teaching on David last week. And the danger of pride, of power, it's Absalom and Saul and David. And it's, a, it's a tale of three kings. And how the quest for power, and just having read these long books on Catherine the Great and Peter the Great and studying the European monarchs and the Habsburgs and all these people, it's like, kings love power. But it's really important in the body of Christ that we respect positions of authority. Now, of course, when those authorities go against the word of God, that's a really easy decision. There's a higher authority. We're about to come to that with Rahab. But you have to stop for a minute and appreciate how they're respecting the position and the God-ordained placement of Joshua in his new role is very important. Chapter 2, Rahab. Rahab. Verse 1 of chapter 2, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So this is interesting in that Joshua is one of the 12 that Moses sent out. And of course, Joshua and Caleb were the two with the good report. And you know, 40 years later, uh, 39 years later, Joshua's like, hey, forget the 12. I'm sending two. <laughs> I'm sending two. Less likelihood of, you know, getting diluted here. Like, I'm sending two. We don't know who they are, but he sent the two. 
They go spy out the land. So he's doing the same thing Moses did almost 40 years later that he himself was a part of. So they went and came to the house of the harlot, the prostitute named Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you and who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman, Rahab, took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as, they, as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. And where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to Jordan to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Let's stop there for a minute. We're going to see a couple things from Rahab. This is the first one. The first thing about Rahab is here, she's lying. She's obviously lying. We know that. Well, she's a prostitute. But she has a good relationship with her family. At least she certainly cares about her family. And we don't know anything about how these men ended up there. But it's not hard to figure out it's a divine appointment because this woman is commended in the New Testament for her faith. And we're going to get to that. She's commended for her faith. She's possibly in the genealogy of Jesus as well in the Gospel of Matthew. Could be, maybe not. There are strong arguments for both. But for sure, the Holy Spirit points her out both times calling her harlot in the book of James and the book of Hebrews. And we'll come to that in just a moment. She's commended for her faith because it says that she believed in the God of Israel and she believed what was going to happen. And then James tells us she showed us her faith like Abraham offering up Isaac. She showed us her faith by hiding the spies. So hiding these spies and lying about it to government authority over her, wicked government authority, by the way, is why she's in the the Bible. She's an example. There's not that many examples in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. Not many. And there's only a couple with James when he's talking about Abraham and Isaac, faith without works, the works of faith. Her faith was proven. Her faith, her faith in the God of Israel and all the promises pointing to Jesus Christ, her faith was proven when she hid the spies and lied about it, which is somewhat paradoxical because, of course, in the Ten Commandments, we're going to get it in the Sermon on the Mount in a couple weeks, that your yes be yes, your no be no. Like we're to speak the truth, that I shall not lie, uh, have deception. But, you know, as clear as light and darkness are and right and wrong, there are all kinds of moral dilemmas that challenge us at different times. And this is one of them. How can a woman who's lying, who's a harlot, lying, then be pointed out by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament as not just a woman of faith, but a great woman of faith. You know, all the women you could quote in the book of James from the Old Testament, Deborah, Ruth, Esther, Rahab is the one that's quoted. He, you know, the Holy Spirit could have said, you know, when Esther went in before the king and said, if I live, if I live, if I die, I die. Like that would have worked in James chapter two. But that's not what the Holy Spirit used. And the Holy Spirit could have said, and Rahab from Jericho when she hid the spies. No, Rahab the prostitute. Who hid the spies, proved her faith from her heart by the action of risking her life in hiding these men. It's a lot like Corey Tim Boom, right? And all those Christians that were used to save Jewish people 
There's just a point where like, you, obviously there's a point where you have to decide where common sense and even more importantly, the high moral ground is the, is the civil disobedience that we're under with the Lord. It's like when Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin Council and they said, don't tell people about Jesus anymore. And they said, well, you can do whatever you think you're going to do, but we, we, we got to keep doing what God's called us to do. And there's a balance there. And who's sufficient for it? Would we have been willing to risk? You know, if you watch The Hiding Place, you can watch The Hiding Place. You can get it on YouTube. Just Google Hiding Place. You can see it on YouTube, or you can, you can find The Hiding Place. It's out there all over the place. The world, Billy Graham's ministry did that movie, the true story of Corrie Tim Boom, where her family hid the Jews. The Hiding Place is where they hid the Jews. Most of you are familiar with the story. And they lied to hide those Jews, and they died to hide those Jews, her father and her sister. And by a miracle, she, in a clerical error, she was released from a concentration camp to tell her story for the next 30 years in which she called herself the tramp for the Lord. Corrie Tim Boom is one of the most amazing human beings. But you know what? For every Corrie Tim Boom, you know, there was thousands just like her all over Europe where people risked their lives who were followers of Christ to hide Jews, to hide homosexuals, to hide people persecuted by the Nazis and save their lives. And they had to decide what was the right thing to do? I've told this story, but when my wife was working on her bachelor's at Hope University years ago, around 2007, she had a class on ethics, and we watched the movie Hotel Rwanda, which is the true story of the Tutsis and the Hutus and these tribes that killed each other in Rwanda by genocide, massive genocide, by the tens of thousands. And it's a true story. You can watch Hotel Rwanda. It's out there. It's, it's, it's strong it's strong content. It's mature content. But it's human history. And in that movie, Nick Nolte, who many of you know, the actor, he plays the director of the UN. And these are all, this is all a true story. And the UN forbid involvement in the conflict between the tribes. So he absolutely followed the rules and enforced, no matter what, you cannot do anything to intervene between these two tribes, slaughtering each other by the tens of thousands. But the owner of the Hotel Rwanda, his hotel became a place of refuge for refugees who were fleeing being massacred. And there were mass massacres going on all over the city of their family and friends. They took refuge in the hotel, and he was protecting hundreds of them. And the UN was saying, you need to kick them out. Well, the moment he kicks them out, they're going to be slaughtered. And he refuses to kick them out. So what happens is he, he leads them out. And he leads them to refugee camps, and hundreds of people live because this man disobeyed the UN higher law to not get involved. To not be involved is to be involved when it's morally right and morally wrong. And there's hard choices to make. We all have to make hard choices in our lifetime. And if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he'll give, but don't ask as a double-minded woman or man. And then make the best choice you can. You just, you got to make the best choice you can. God looks at the heart. When they critique the disciples for breaking bread on the Sabbath, the wheat, Jesus said, have you not read? Do you not know the scriptures? Like you guys think you know it all. Like you're rule followers. You, you tithe mint and cumin. You guys are like this, 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 this. Have you re-? If you go read this and realize I desire mercy, not over sacrifice. I desire compassion toward humanity as opposed to religion that's erected in your own mind. And that's Rahab. Yes, I know she's a harlot. 
and she believes in me. And it's not the, the healthy that need a physician, it's the sick. You see, there's always a higher law that's of common sense, but more importantly, it's of moral right sense. And since we've been pressed hard in the last year and a half over what those things look like, it's really important that each one of us have our own convictions. Martin Luther King Jr. refused to ever have violence in his protest for legitimate civil rights. And to this day, it's so admirable because of the abuse he took. He was not a great moral man, particularly as a minister. He had failures in ministry, but he led an entire people group in a nonviolent platform that still stands as an incredible testimony of personal convictions of a higher law. He stood against bad laws, but not violently. And he gave his life for it. Malcolm X had a very different worldview, right? He was just like chaos, murder and chaos, like the Black Panthers. We all have to decide in the difficult places, in the difficult times, what our moral standards are and what truly is right and wrong for each one of us. And we have to decide those things. And sometimes we know in advance, but sometimes like we're talking about Matthew 10, we don't know until the Spirit guides us like, what's right? When Jews come running in your house and someone's trying to kill them, what would you do? Well, you're, there, you're there in the Netherlands, what are you going to do? When the Nazis come and want to take your radios, are you going to hide your radio so you know what's going on? Or are you going to give them the radio and just like a sheep or a lemon go right off a cliff with them? Such a challenging time we live in. But let God be true and every man a liar. And let us have come to places of firm conviction like Martin Luther putting the thesis, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther Luther putting that thesis on your church door and saying, these are the, way, the facts. These are where we stand. If we live, we live. If we die, we die. This is a time for courage and character and conviction, humility, gentleness, and the spirit of God with the people of God who confess Jesus as Lord. Rahab is amazing in the story. She risked everything. Yep, she's lying, which just shows that God looks at the heart more than the action. There's a lot of people that do the right thing. Their hearts are so wrong. And there's people that sincerely do the wrong thing, but their hearts are right. And God knows. I'm not saying go out and lie or be deceitful. But I'm just telling you the Holy Spirit puts her in the New Testament twice for real faith in believing who God is and the second time for proving her faith by hiding these spies, which we just read. Now we close out the chapter, verse 8. Now before they lay down, she came to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites and who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in any one of us, of us because of you. For the Lord your God, he's God of heaven above on our earth. That's your confession. That's like Romans 10 verse. He's confessing. Your God is God. Verse 12. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all that I have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window from her house was on the city wall and she dwelt on the wall at that time. And she said to them, get to the mountain unless the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned 
Afterwards, you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind the line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father and your mother and your brother and all your family's household to your home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the door of your home, of your house, into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from this oath which you've made us swear. Then she said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. And they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, crossed over the Jordan. They came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told them all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. So they escaped. Her faith that you read about in James and Hebrews is demonstrated when she hid them and then let them down out the window and they escaped and she deceived the government authorities over her that were trying to get those men, just like Corey Tim Boom and the Jews in the hiding place. Now, they said to her, you bind this line of scarlet cord, verse 18 in the window, when you let us down and that's, that's like a... That would seem to be a flashpoint of her faith, but it's not actually commended that way in the New Testament. But it's noteworthy because, of course, it's scarlet thread. We think of Jesus, scarlet, blood red, the blood of Christ. We know during Passover, right, they put the blood over the doorposts. Everyone was under the blood in the home. Very similar principle, scarlet thread in the window. Everyone comes in the house. They're saved. They're under this red scarlet thread. If they're not, they're on their own. So it really is a type of Christ, the scarlet thread. And so she brought, is a further revelation for her. She believed in the God of Israel, but the scarlet thread is bringing her closer to the cross and closer to Jesus in a, a shadow of things to come, the fullness is Christ. How could we know when she hid them, lied about them, and let them down, tied the scarlet thread, that she would be a hero of the Bible? She went from harlot to hero. <laughs> Talk about saving grace, right? What a beautiful story. Rahab's amazing, beautiful story. And she did it with the cord. Her family believed her testimony. So who knows what the family relationships were like before that? Oh, she's always got a new boyfriend, right? But it was all restored. And they believed her testimony. And it was beautiful. And then the two spies come back, and they're batting a thousand. Hey, the Lord has given us the land. God said, I'll put the terror of you upon these people, and you'll be good. That's exactly what he did. She testified of it. They come back. What do they have? A good rapport. They have a good rapport. You know, if you see a good rapport, the people you send out usually 40 years later, they'll probably bring back a good rapport too. Like begets like. How we frame things, how we see things, how we influence people, it goes a long way for the future and the next generation. All those people over 20 died, but the two people that had a good report, they're going in, and this one sends out two, and when they bring back a good report... When we look at our world in 2021 and the realities of it, we've got to frame it always with a good report through the eyes of faith. 